I will be reading this morning out of Luke chapter 24. He also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are powered from on high. To preach repentance and remission of sins to the entire world exceeds the ability of one person. We must join forces to share Christ's love. Oh, man, I've been looking forward to hearing Wally read again. Wasn't that incredible? <laughs> well, I will begin reading in 2 Kings chapter 1. And uh, thank you, Wally. We're excited to have you back and thankful to have more and more people with the situation we find ourselves in, with the, the benefits and the blessings of certain health cares and everything to, to be able to join back more and more. So uh, praise the Lord. Uh, Wally, we have missed your voice and we are happy to hear it again. And I thought you walked up here really well. <laughs> well, if you are able to, would you please stand? We are Second Kings. We're starting Second Kings chapter 1. If you're able to, would you please stand or sit in order to honor the reading of the words of our God? Second Kings will begin reading in verse 1. We'll read on down through verse 18, the end of the chapter there. The word of God says, After the death of Ahab, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice in his upper chamber in Samaria and lay sick. So he sent messengers telling them, Go inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up to meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and say to them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So Elijah went. The messengers returned to the king and he said to them, why have you returned? And they said to him, there came a man to meet us and said to us, go back to the king who sent you and say to him, thus says the Lord, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are sending to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. He said to them, What kind of man was he who came to meet you and told you these things? They answered, He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. And he said, It is Elijah the Tishbite. Then the king sent to him a captain of fifty men with his fifty. He went up to Elijah, who was sitting on top of the hill, and said to him, O man of God, the king says, Come down. But Elijah answered the captain of the fifty, I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. Then fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again, the king sent him another captain of fifty with his, with his fifty. And he answered and said to him, O man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. But Elijah answered them, If I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your fifty. 
Then the fire of God came down from heaven and consumed him and his fifty. Again, the king sent the captain of a third fifty with his fifty. And the third captain of fifty went up and came and fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him. O man of God, please let my life and the life of these fifty servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of fifty men with their fifties. But now let my life be precious in your sight. Then the angel of the Lord said to Elijah, go down with him. Do not be afraid of him. So he arose and went down with him to the king and said to him, thus says the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, is it because there is no god in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Jehoram became king in his place in the second year of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, because Ahaziah had no son. Now the rest of the acts of of Ahaziah that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? Thank you very much. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now, and Lord, we thank you for your word that you have given to us today. We thank you that it points us to you to the fact that you are the one true God. We thank you that you are God. And so, Lord, may we approach you humbly, and may we approach you fearfully, and may we trust you with our lives and serve you with our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would now uh, be honored through the glory, may you be glorified through the preaching of your word, so that every heart might confess that Christ is Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Every day, daily, weekly, yearly, we are having to answer important questions. What are we going to do for work? Who will we marry? What are we going to spend time doing? What are we going to spend our money on? What are we as Baptists going to eat for lunch today? As we come to our text this morning, there's an important question that's been repeated throughout this chapter. Did you catch it? It's repeated three times in verse 3, verse 6, and verse 16. Is there a God in Israel? In other words, God is asking them, who are you seeking? Is there a God in Israel? In other words, God is asking, well, who are you turning to? Friends, the world turns everywhere. It turns to Allah, to Buddha, to scientism, to wealth, to selfishness. The world turns everywhere besides to the one true God. But what about you today? Who are you turning to? Whom are you serving? We, we see in our text the fate of those who turn everywhere but to the Lord. We see the fate of those who turn everywhere but to the one true God. So we had been spending a number of times, uh, a, a number of sermons in 1 Kings. We started all the way back, if you remember back in 1 Kings 17, with uh, picking up with Elijah, announcing this drought coming on Israel because of their unfaithfulness. So they had sought after the gods of the nations around them. And, and we saw that the drought came because of the word of the Lord. But through that drought, God had sustained Elijah miraculously. He had 
raised the widow's dead son. And Elijah had confronted Ahab in 1 Kings 18 at Mount Carmel. And, and he said, the God who answers by fire, he is God. And so Yahweh answered, burns up the altar there in 1 Kings 18. And then right after that, Elijah entered into a dark season, right? Where he hears that Jezebel, the queen, wanted to kill him. So he goes into hiding. The Lord restores him. And David, uh, about a month ago, preached on Ahab's fall, Ahab's uh, death there at the word of the Lord at the end of 1 Kings in chapter 22. And now we come to 2 Kings. Right here in chapter 1 and then in chapter 2 are the final days of Elijah's ministry. And the Lord was not done with Elijah yet. God has a word of judgment that he is going to speak against the wicked son of Ahab. Ahaziah here. And he's going to use Elijah to deliver it. If you turn in your Bibles, just back over maybe one page to 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 51 through 53. We're going to see that that 1 Kings ends and we're given this summary of Ahaziah's reign. Look with me at 1 Kings 22, verse 51. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned two years over Israel. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of, of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger in every way that his father had done. So who is this man, Ahaziah? Well, he's Ahab's son. And Ahab had thought, as, as David preached a, a couple of weeks ago, Ahab thought that he could escape God's judgment. God said that he was going to die in battle. But Ahab, what does he do? He goes in disguise in battle, right? And, and, and I love the way chapter 22, verse 34 reads. And it says, a certain man drew his bow at random, as if anything happens at random, right? And struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. So Ahab, Ahaziah's father, thought that he could escape the judgment of God, but he could not. And now his son Ahaziah is taking his place, and he's going to reign for two years over Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel in Samaria. And you see that summary of his reign and his life there in verse 52? He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of his father, and in the way of his mother, and in the way of Jeroboam, who made Israel to sin. How would you like that to be your obituary? Did evil in the sight of the Lord. He followed in the footsteps of his father and mother who instituted idolatry. How would you like that to be your obituary? How would you like that to be the obituary of your kids or grandkids? They just followed in the footsteps of their parents and continued in sin. Well, as 1 Kings comes to a conclusion and 2 Kings start, we now pick up and this same idolatry is continuing. Uh, the idolatry of Ahab and Jezebel doesn't end with Ahab's random death. It's now continuing with his son. We see that he had fallen, he had some accident where he falls through a lattice, like the second story, he fell through and he's, he's on his deathbed. He's laying there sick. 
And what does he do? He sends these messengers out to go and inquire of Beelzebub. Now, we've heard of Baal or Baal. I, I, like, I, I think, you know, English, we just uh, make everything shorter. So it probably is pronounced Baal, but I say Baal because it's faster. But we see here that we now have this attachment to Baal. We see here it says uh, Baal Zabub. Baal means Lord. Zabub means the Lord of the flies. Some think that something that the writer of Second Kings is kind of doing a play on words here, being sort of sarcastic. Normally, it would be Baal Zabul, which means Lord Prince. But here. The writer has the Lord of the flies as sort of a mark for the foolishness of seeking after these idols of the countries around them. So there is the king of Israel on his deathbed, in the final moments of his life, and where does he turn? He turns to the idol that he's turned to his whole life. It's quite sad, isn't it? His only hope on his deathbed is a wooden figure in a temple in Philistia, the the enemies of Israel. But friends, what he's doing is he's reaching out and he's grasping for what he has been taught. He's reaching out and he's grasping for what he has known his entire life. Remember who his father and his mother are. The ones who had institutionalized idol worship. So here, the king turns to to these idols, to this idol, just like his parents did. And we see here that the sins of Ahab and Jezebel are now established in the life of their son. You know, friends, when when parents do not make much of God, or they think that God exists just to meet their needs and to exist to make their wants, uh, to meet their wants, that God is just a means to an end, or, or they only serve God when it's convenient for them, then we should not be surprised when their children do the same. Brothers and sisters, if we model for our kids and we teach them that the world revolves around them and their schedules, we teach them that it's okay to skip church for for our work schedules or okay to skip church for sports schedules, how how church and serving the Lord is is just good when it's convenient for you, then we should not be surprised that our children do not see how church and serving the Lord is important to them. Yes, I understand you can do everything right and they still not believe. But friends, what are you modeling for the coming generation? You know, over the last few years, we've witnessed a mass exodus of younger people from the church. They identify now as ex-Christians or maybe you've heard the term ex-evangelical Many uh, have announced that they've left the faith. And, and I remember, you know, we used to think, well, you know, they left because of some immoral issue. They'd rather pursue immorality. And that's, that, that's, that, that's still partially true. But I was reading an article this last week by Russ Moore. And he said, the problem now is not that people think that the church's way of life is too demanding, too morally rigorous. But they have come to think the church doesn't believe its own moral teachings. You hear that? They come to think that the church doesn't even believe its own moral teachings. The problem is not that they reject the idea that God could send anyone to hell, but that when they see the the church covering up predatory behavior in its institutions. 
as I mentioned, in the past, we used to think it was simply just because of some moral issue. They would rather pursue sinful desires. And to be honest, that's still true, right? But the main problem we're hearing today is that many in the church don't actually seem to live what they believe. Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4, verse 16, he says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. In other words, he says, keep a close watch on what you believe, on the doctrine that you believe, and on how you live. Brothers and sisters, friends here today, are you keeping a close watch on your life and on what you believe about God? You know, I think, how is it that the, the moral majority of our country can be so full of immorality. Maybe it's because we've been so good at hiding our immorality. Friends, if your view of Christ and Christianity is simply just checking the right box at the polls instead of the left one and then living as if Jesus is not your supreme worth, living as if Christianity is just a means to your own self-fulfillment, whatever that is, that's not biblical Christianity. You might be asking, what does that have to do with Second Kings? Well, friends, what are you modeling for the coming generations? Are you modeling that it's okay to check all the right boxes and believe all the right things, but then live as if those teachings are not true? What are we modeling as a church for the coming generations if we say we believe in Christ, but then we don't live for Him throughout the week? Like Ahaziah here, friends, what are you reaching for? What are you thinking that's going to spare you from coming judgment? Friends, death is no time to be playing around with dead-end religions or selfish pursuits or, uh, or, 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 or thinking that you can just go on living however you want. Death is no time for that. Here is this man on his deathbed. And what is he grasping for? What are you grasping for? See, the problem is, you're here today. Likely none of us are on our death, deathbeds today, right? The problem is, we don't know when our time is up. Therefore, it's never any time to play about with worthless pursuits or selfish endeavors or sinful immorality. But friends, what are you turning to? What are you grasping for today? Now is not the time to play about with religion. Now is not the time to play about with God thinking that He's just a means to your end. No, friends, choose today who you will serve. Will it be the Lord of the flies? Or will it be the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Friends, we're all tempted, just like Ahaziah here, to look elsewhere. To look elsewhere other than the one true God. We live in a world that turns almost anywhere except to the Lord who deserves and demands our full allegiance. Brothers and sisters, God asks for our total allegiance today. That's why, what is the first of the Ten Commandments? No other gods, right? And what's the second? No idols. God takes seriously when we violate the first commandment. And that's what Ahaziah is doing here. God doesn't share His glory with another. And we see here that He's going to bring about a word of judgment against Ahaziah. Here, we have the king of Israel who should be leading the people of God in righteousness and a holy pursuit of God turning where? 
Turning to an idol in Ekron. Turning to the Lord of the flies. So what are you turning to? What are you grasping for today? He turns to this idol. He goes. He sends out these messengers. The king sends messengers, but the Lord, Yahweh, sends the angel of the Lord to speak to Elijah. And he says, is it because... There is no God in Israel that you are going to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron. Ahaziah, by sending these messengers to seek out this idol, he has turned his back on God. He suggested that God is not God in Israel. And friends, that's exactly what we do when we turn and we run after idols of our own lives. That's what we do when we're disobedient to God, when we sin against God, and we're saying, basically we're saying He's not good enough to handle our problems. So we turn to substances and to, to try and numb ourselves. Yet, here God is. And He's not allowing the first commandment to be broken here by this king. He still sends Elijah to confront and deliver this message to the king. God could have left Israel alone. He could have not spoken to them anymore. He could have shut the mouths of the prophets. But here he sends Elijah to confront him. And so these messengers, they're sent off, but they return early. The king asks why. They, they tell him. And he says, well, describe the man who came to speak to you. And immediately he knows it's Elijah. Elijah was likely a byword in his household growing up probably thinking, oh no, not that troubler. So the king now is thinking, well, I'm going to send some messengers to him. And so he sends the first, this first captain. He sends three captains. The first one he sends, this captain with his 50 to go and retrieve this troubler. The odds seem pretty good, right? 51 men against one man. 51 to bring back one. But who's on Elijah's side? Verse 9. King sent... This captain of the 50 goes to Elijah. He says, oh, man of God, the king says, come down. But Elijah answered the captain of the 50, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume your 50. And fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. And then he sends a second one. And notice what the second one says. Oh, man of God, this is the king's order. Come down quickly. And then fire falls from heaven again. At first, this seems rather harsh, right? But notice the two kings, uh, these two captains. Notice their approach to Elijah. What does the first one emphasize? He emphasizes the king's authority. What does he say? He says, the king says, come down. Notice what the second one emphasizes. He emphasizes speed. Come down quickly. Now think about what these soldiers are there to do. Are they coming to pick Elijah up to take him on a walk through the park with the king? Are they coming to, to, so that they can pick up Elijah so he can grab a cup of coffee with the king? No, no, no. They're not there to serve as any sort of royal escort. Rather, they're sent by the king to try and control the prophet of God through power. So the troops are coming to Elijah... Ultimately, to take him out, to show a force of power, to show their force and their power and their hostility towards Elijah. And who does Elijah represent? He represents the one true God, right? 
prophet coming to speak and deliver God's word. And then fire from heaven is a sign of God's protection for Elijah. The, the king thought that he could use his power to control Elijah and ultimately control the word of God, just like his parents tried to do. But in the end, Ahaziah was just as unsuccess, unsuccessful as his parents. So the king, in his foolishness, tries to use his power, but what happens? He ends up getting over a hundred people killed. And then we see in verse 13, there's this third captain. How would you like to be that man? <laughs> the first captain and his 50 go out, never come back. The second go out, they don't come back. Now you hear your name called at the barracks. How would you like to be that guy? Would you be shaking? This man, he approaches differently though. The way this third captain approaches Elijah teaches us how we should approach the Lord. Elijah, being a prophet, is the one who brought the word of God to the people. And so we learn the way this man approaches Elijah and ultimately Yahweh, the one true God, is how we are to approach the Lord, humbly and fearfully. And so he comes up, he falls on his knees, and he pleads with Elijah. He does not speak with pride. He doesn't speak with authority of the king or expediency of the other two. Rather, he takes a different posture. He falls on his knees and pleads for his life and the life of his men. One commentator put it this way. He knelt, he pled, he trembled, and he lived. Friends, is this how you approach the Lord? Humbly and fearfully pleading for mercy. One of my favorite passages from Isaiah is the one I read at the beginning of the service, Isaiah 66, 1 through 2. But Isaiah 66, verse 2 says, This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. This man here is the embodiment of Isaiah 66, 2. Humble, contrite, trembling before the word of God spoken by the, pro, the prophet of God. This man shows us how we are to approach the Lord humbly and fearfully. This man recognizes that he needed mercy, that he needed grace. And the same is true for every single one of us. Daily, brothers and sisters, we must continue, we must humbly serve and approach the Lord. We must cling to His mercy and to His grace through the gospel of Christ crucified and Christ resurrected on behalf of sinners. We don't come to God with authority. We don't come to Him with expediency. No, we come to Him as sinners, humbly and fearfully trembling before Him. Friends, if the king, Ahaziah, and the people of Israel had responded in the same way that this man did, it's likely they would have been spared judgment. They ultimately would not have been taken off into exile. But they didn't respond to God that way. And they would receive the judgment due for their sins. So this man approaches Elijah humbly and fearfully. And then in verse 15, the angel of the Lord tells Elijah to go. To go and to deliver that word of judgment to Ahaziah. In the end, it was this humble captain who walks down the hill with Elijah. 
instead of ending up like the prideful and hasty other captains. And then in verses 15 and 16, Elijah delivers that word of judgment. He says, This is the Lord, because you have sent messengers to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron, is it because there is no God in Israel to inquire of his word? Therefore, you shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, but you shall surely die. So he delivers that message. And what happens? Verse 17. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Remember, one of the themes of First and Second Kings is what? God's word comes true. What Yahweh says will happen, happens. He died according to the word of the Lord. You know, friends, it's really frightening when you think about it. It's frightening and saddening. Ahaziah, in the moment of his greatest need, on his deathbed, instead of turning and seeking after the one true and living God, does what? He continues to turn away from Yahweh. It reminds me, a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a pastor. And he was telling us a story of, of how uh, he went to visit a man on his deathbed. He wasn't a believer. So somebody in the church said, hey, my friend, he's not a believer. He's on his deathbed. Can you go share the gospel with him? So he goes, he shares the gospel with the man. And the man says, no thanks. I've done without the Lord my whole life. I don't need him now. And now that man is suffering for all eternity. And that's similar to what Ahaziah did here. Friends, these verses are really all that we know about Ahaziah. What we know about him is that instead of turning to God in the moment of his greatest need, he turns from God. And what does he do? He dies according to the word of the Lord. Is there no God in Israel? Friends, Ahaziah was acting like there was no God. Acting like there was no God is foolishness. And friend, you can go on acting that way, but know that judgment is coming upon your sin. Ahaziah acted like that, and he turned to folly, and he died according to the word of the Lord. Friends, some of you are here today, and you're turning to all kinds of places to find your purpose and meaning in life. You're turning to your job, to substances, to alcohol, to opioids, to cigarettes, to relationships. Friends, what are you turning to? Friend, I want you to know that life is offered to you in Christ today. If you would confess your sin and place your hope in Christ for salvation today, life, eternal life, is offered to you today. Will you be like Ahaziah here and continue to turn from the word of God, continue to turn from the one true God? Or will you turn to Him? All across our community, all across our country, all across the world, there are those who are living as if there is no God. Friends, what are you going to tell them? Who is going to tell them that yes, there is a God in Israel and His name is Jesus Christ and He came to save His people from their sins? Is there a God in Israel? The answer to that question is yes. And He is the God who has power over sin and death. The question for you here today is will you turn to Him? Will you serve Him? And will you make much of Him for all eternity?
Let's pray. Father, we come before you now. And we thank you for your word that that points us to the fact that you are the true and living God. Lord, that you don't share your glory with another. And so, Father, forgive us of turning to the things of this world. Forgive us for turning to the idols of this world. Father, we thank you that there is still opportunity today for all who are here to turn from our sin and to turn to you and to believe in Christ and to find the hope and the life that is found in him. Lord, help us to continue to have faith and trust in him. Lord, we thank you that there is a God in Israel. We pray these things in Jesus' name.